Thank you for joining us to discuss Cloudflare's financial results for the second quarter, 2021. With me on the call, we have Matthew Prince, co-founder and CEO, Michelle Zatlin, co-founder, president and COO, and Thomas Seifert, CFO. By now, everyone should have access to our earnings announcement. This announcement, as well as our supplemental financial information, may be found in our investor relations website. As a reminder, we'll be making forward-looking statements during today's discussion, including, but not limited to, our customers, vendors, and partners' operations and future financial performance, anticipated product launches and the timing and market potential of those products, the company's anticipated future revenue, financial performance, operating performance, non-GAAP gross margin, non-GAAP net loss from operations, non-GAAP net loss per share, shares outstanding, non-GAAP operating expenses, free cash flow, non-GAAP effective tax rate, dollar-based net retention rate, total customers, paying customers, and large customers. These statements and other comments are not guaranteed of future performance, but rather are subject to risks and uncertainty, some of which are beyond our control, including but not limited to the extent and duration of the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic and adverse conditions in the general domestic and global economic markets. Our actual results may differ significantly from those projected or suggested in any forward-looking statements. These forward-looking statements apply as of today, and you should not rely on them as representing our views in the future. We undertake no obligation to update these statements after this call. For a more complete discussion of the risks and uncertainties that could impact our future operating results and financial condition, please see our filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission, as well as in today's earnings press release. Unless otherwise noted, all numbers we talk about today, other than revenue, will be on an adjusted non-GAAP basis. All current and prior period financials discussed are reflected under ASC 606. You may find a reconciliation of GAAP to non-GAAP financial measures in our earnings release on our investor relations website. For historical periods, a GAAP to non-GAAP reconciliation can be found in the supplemental financial information referenced a few moments ago. We would also like to inform you that we will be virtually participating in the Oppenheimer Technology, Internet, and Communications Conference on August 10th, the KeyBank Technology Conference on August 11th, the Deutsche Bank Technology Conference on September 9th, the City Technology Conference on September 13th, the Piper Sandler Global Technology Conference on September 14th, and the Jeffrey Software Conference on September 15th. Now, I'd like to turn the call over to Matthew. Thank you, Jason. We had our strongest quarter as a public company. In Q2, we achieved revenue of $152 million, up 53% year over year. Our revenue growth continued to accelerate as we saw strength across all customer segments. In particular, we added a record 143 large customers, those that pay us more than $100,000 per year, and ended the quarter with 1,088 large customers. 19% of the Fortune 1000 are now paying Cloudflare customers, and we continue to see particular strength across our enterprise business. Our expansion rates also improved over Q1, with dollar-based net retention reaching 124% in Q2. Even with this strong revenue and customer growth, our gross margins improved to 78%, up 120 basis points year over year. If there were a theme for the quarter, it was Cloudflare winning the business of the largest and most sophisticated companies and organizations in the world. To that end, I wanted to jump right in and highlight some customer wins, starting with the world's largest IT buyer. The United States federal government chose Cloudflare's zero-trust solutions in order to help secure federal agencies against the rising threat of cyber attacks. We partnered with Accenture Federal Services and won a contract with the Department of Homeland Security to offer our protection to all civilian executive branch agencies. This was a very competitive process where we were up against nearly every other vendor in the space. Our win highlights how our zero trust solutions are now recognized as world class. This is also a good example of how we're increasingly working with leading GSIs like Accenture as we service larger and larger organizations and there aren't many organizations larger than the United States government. While we are proud of this deal and the credibility it gives us as a leader in the zero trust space, and we believe it will ultimately be a significant contributor to revenue, we don't believe that the contribution will be meaningful in 2021. As a result, this deal, along with some other strategic deals we won in the quarter, do not show up in RPO, and we have not included the impact of them in our guidance through the end of the year. However, servicing a large customer like the United States government, as well as other strategic deals we won in Q2, does require us to increase investments in our network. 
anticipating these deals, we began making increased investments in Q1. These investments continued in Q2, and we anticipate will continue through the second half of the year. We are investing for the long term, and we believe winning strategic customers proves how this strategy continues to pay off. Even with the initial investment, we still anticipate we will reach break-even in Q1 of 2022. While we're on the topic of profitability, I wanted to preview a conversation I anticipate having with some of you this time next year. As part of our long-term model, we have an operating margin target of 20%. When we say long-term, we really mean it. We remain confident in our ability to reach that long-term target, but we are not in a rush to get there. From the point at which we reach break-even, we intend to aggressively reinvest excess gross profit back into growth. We are nowhere close to being out of ideas for new products to build or customers to buy them. Cloudflare is optimized for innovation, and we plan to continue to launch new products, add more customers, relentlessly execute, and reinvest in growth for the foreseeable future. Security continued to be in the news and was a theme driving customer wins. A major oil and gas pipeline provider signed a $210,000 annual contract for a portion of our Cloudflare One solution. They were looking to help protect their infrastructure against the sophisticated cyber attacks they were facing. They were referred to us by a major systems integrator, and together we helped better protect their critical infrastructure. I think this is evidence that when companies and their advisors face cybersecurity challenges, Cloudflare is increasingly one of their first phone calls. A Fortune 500 transportation provider signed a three-year, $340,000 contract for a portion of our Cloudflare One solution. This is another deal that came to us through a channel partner. We believe there's an opportunity to more than double the size of our relationship with this customer over the coming year. A Fortune 500 industrial services provider signed a two-year, $895,000 deal for a number of Cloudflare One components. This customer was targeted by the so-called Fancy Lazarus hacker group. We were able to enable our solution within four hours of our first conversation and mitigate the threat. A Fortune 500 auto parts manufacturing company faced a similar threat and turned to us to solve it. They signed a $300,000 annual deal. The CISO said, the Cloudflare team was fantastic. We took this threat very seriously. Cloudflare was there for us. You can't make a car with only 99% of the parts. So one malicious attack in the supply chain impacts everyone. In that spirit, he referred us to another Fortune 500 manufacturing company who signed a two-year $320,000 contract. The CISO of that second firm referred us to a third Fortune 500 manufacturing firm who signed a two-year $570,000 contract. That's over a million dollars new contract because our solutions worked and solved some of the problems that are top of mind for every technology leader right now. It increasingly feels like Cloudflare is becoming the de facto choice for enterprises when they are thinking about the future of their network security. A Fortune 500 born-on-the-web e-commerce provider expanded their use of Cloudflare. They were already using our WAF and content delivery products. Their team turned to us when they were looking for a developer-friendly zero-trust security solution. In a competitive process with other zero-trust vendors, we won this technically sophisticated customer's business. In the process, they also went all in on us, making us their exclusive provider of network services. This win shows how we can expand customers from using one of our products to being their complete, secure, programmable network provider. This customer spend with us is now over $4 million annually, and we expect we will grow with them. A very large cryptocurrency exchange expanded the use of our network. As an exchange, they are obsessed with the fastest possible performance. They lean heavily on our Argo smart routing technology, as well as our global presence in more than 200 cities worldwide. They expanded their contract with us in the quarter and now spend over $4 million annually. It's also of note that three of the four largest cryptocurrency exchanges use Cloudflare's network to be fast and secure. We see more and more customers building applications around Cloudflare workers, our compute platform. A high-profile new economy delivery company signed a $1.3 million three-year deal. They use a number of our products, but increasingly are building their application using workers in order to get fast, scalable performance. They appreciate the flexibility it provides as they literally deliver for their geographically distributed customer base. A financial services software provider signed a three-year, $3.3 million deal for a number of our products. They're using workers as a hyper-programmable middleware to stitch together multiple vendor solutions. 
They love how easy it is for developers on their team to get up and running on the platform because of the broad programming language support and rich developer tools that have been honed and battle-tested in production since workers launched nearly four years ago. An Asian fintech provider expanded their use of Cloudflare by half a million dollars, making their annual spend now $1.3 million. They're using workers to accelerate their development cycle and replace spend with some of the traditional hyperscale compute providers. They cited workers' ease of use and global performance as key drivers of their decision to double down on Cloudflare. From old school manufacturing and cryptocurrency, from the United States government to some of the largest companies in the world, I was particularly struck this quarter how Cloudflare is resonating across industry segments and geographies as the answer whenever someone is looking for the future of a secure programmable network. Finally, I wanted to make sure you all had a chance to catch our announcements last week. We have a tradition of hosting innovation weeks where we launch new products and features. We typically host about eight of these weeks per year. Last week was our first impact week. During the week, we highlighted Project Pangea, which provides internet connectivity at no cost to underserved communities worldwide, a number of initiatives to drive down Cloudflare's environmental impact and help our customers cut their carbon output, our commitment to human rights, a sustainable workforce, and our vision for a more inclusive future of work. What I really liked about these efforts is that they aren't ancillary. They are core to who we are and what we do as a company. We deeply believe in our mission of helping build a better internet. And living that every day shows up in the continued success of winning customers and attracting and retaining the incredible team we have. Thank you to all of them for what was an outstanding quarter. With that, I'll hand it off to Thomas to walk through the financials. Thank you, Matthew, and thank you to everyone for joining us. We continued the momentum from the first quarter and saw new records in both dollar-based net retention and large customer additions. Our success in the first half of this year is due in part to the investments we made last year, benefiting from our ability to successfully run product innovation and go-to-market employees in a work-from-anywhere world. We firmly believe that we are well-positioned to continue to deliver consistent results with disciplined execution. Total revenue for the second quarter increased 53% year-over-year to $152.4 million. The growth in revenue was driven by another quarter of strong customer demand, both in terms of new local acquisition as well as expansion within our existing customer base. From a geographic perspective, we saw continued strength in both the U.S. and internationally. The U.S. represented 52% of revenue and increased 65% year-over-year. EMEA represented 26% of revenue and increased 53% year-over-year. APAC represented 15% of revenue and increased 23% year-over-year. We were pleased to see revenue continue to accelerate in the U.S. this quarter while we continue to ramp our go-to-market international footprint. In China, we are pleased to see the transition of customers from Baidu to JD progressing well. In addition, network performance metrics of JD have already surpassed historical performance in China due to expanded network coverage and streamlined integration. Turning to our customer metrics, we exited the quarter with 126,735 paying customers representing an increase of 32% year-over-year. We saw a record number of large customer additions in the second quarter, adding 143 large customers sequentially and 451 year-over-year. We ended the quarter with 1,088 large customers, representing an increase of 71% year-over-year. We saw a significant expansion from our large customers, which helped to drive a record dollar-based net retention rate of 124%, representing an increase of 100 basis points sequentially. We are encouraged to see our customer acquisition costs continue to trend favorably this quarter, giving us confidence to continue to invest in our large enterprise go-to-market activities. Second quarter, gross margin was 78%, 
representing an increase of 40 basis points sequentially. Network CapEx represented 6% of revenue in the second quarter. We continue to expect network CapEx to be 10 to 12% of revenue for fiscal 2021. Turning to the operating expenses. Second quarter operating expenses as a percentage of revenue decreased 2% sequentially and decreased 5% year over year to 81%. We had another strong hiring quarter with an increase of 34% year over year, bringing our total number of employees to approximately 2,050 at the end of the quarter. Sales and marketing expenses were $68.4 million for the quarter. Sales and marketing as a percentage of revenue decreased 1% sequentially and decreased to 45% from 48% in the same quarter last year. Research and development expenses were $30.1 million in the quarter. R&D as a percentage of revenue decreased 1% sequentially and year over year to 20% from 21%. General and administrative expenses were $24.4 million for the quarter. GNA as a percentage of revenue decreased 1% sequentially and year over year to 16% from 17%. We continue to see strong operating leverage in the second quarter with operating margin improving 690 basis points year over year. Operating loss was $4 million compared to $9.5 million in the same period last year. Net loss in the quarter was $7.3 million or net loss per share of two cents. Our effective tax rate for the second quarter was negative 26%. Turning to the balance sheet, we ended the second quarter with $1 billion in cash, cash equivalents, and available for sale securities. Free cash flow was negative $9.8 million or 6% of revenue compared to negative $20.2 million or 20% of revenue in the same period last year. Operating cash flow was positive $7.5 million in the second quarter or 5% of revenue, which decreased $16 million sequentially and increased $3.5 million year over year. As we've mentioned previously, we expect to continue to see some level of variability in cash flow margins due to ongoing fluctuations in working capital, the growth in our large enterprise business, and seasonal factors. Remaining performance obligations, or ARPO, remain strong in the second quarter, coming in at $484 million, representing an increase of 10% sequentially and 77% year over year. Current ARPO was 77% of total ARPO. Given the strong momentum we are seeing, we remain optimistic and confident in the continued growth of our business. As such, we are pleased to once again raise our revenue outlook for both the quarter and the full year. As Matthew mentioned previously, we saw some exciting customer wins in the second quarter that necessitate increased investment in our network and engineering staff. These wins lean heavily into the security aspect of our offering and give us a roadmap to further extend our platform and enhance strategic partnerships. Anticipating these deals, we began making these investments in the first quarter. These investments continued in the second quarter and we anticipate will continue through the second half of the year. Turning to guidance, for the third quarter, we expect revenue in the range of 165 to $166 million, representing an increase of 45% year over year. Recall in our third quarter 2020 revenue, we had a one-time benefit of $1.9 million related to a customer renewal. Without this one-time benefit, our third quarter guidance would represent an increase of 47 to 48% year over year. We expect operating loss in the range of $9.5 million to $8.5 million. And we expect net loss per share in the range of 4 to $0.03, cents, assuming approximately $310 million common shares outstanding. We expect an effective tax rate of negative 15%. For the full year 2021, 
we expect revenue in the range of 629 to 633 million dollars, representing an increase of 46 to 47 percent year over year. We expect operating loss for the full year in the range of 28 million to 24 million dollars, and we expect net loss per share over the period in the range of 12 to 11 cents assuming approximately 309 million common shares outstanding. We expect an effective tax rate for 2021 of negative 19%. In closing, we completed another very strong quarter. As Matthew mentioned, we also launched our first impact week last week. I encourage everyone to take a look at our impact website where we centralize ESG disclosures and highlight sustainability initiatives. We also published our first greenhouse gas emission report, our first diversity report, and our commitment to not only 100% renewable energy, but also removing all of our historic emissions associated with powering our network by 2025. We're excited to continue to extend our sustainability efforts, which not only tightly aligns with our mission, but also strengthens the durability of our business and is additive to the financial wealth of Cloudflare. With that, I'd like to open it up for questions. Operator, please poll for questions. Thank you. At this time, I would like to remind everyone, in order to ask a question, press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Again, that is star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. We'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Yeah, our first question coming from the line of Matt Hadford with RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Oh, hey, guys. Thanks for taking my questions, and congrats on a really strong quarter here. Um, you know, Matthew, it's clear that the large federal deal, you know, stood out to me and, and is impressive because I think, you know, you've, you've hit some additional levels of FedRAMP certification, but you're still pretty early in your, in your Fed or public sector journey. Can you talk a little bit more about, I guess, how how extensive um, you know the, the public sector just in general, all the way down to state and local governments, could be for you guys. And and how, you know, how are you putting more resources behind that? It seems like you talked about uh, GSIs, but but just a little bit more on that uh, that increasing opportunity. Sure, Matt. Um, as you as you mentioned, we are in the process of uh, getting our FedRAMP uh, certification, and we anticipate uh, that in the first half of next year we'll be uh, fully FedRAMP certified. But we're already in the marketplace. Uh, since we're going going through the process and it's going very smoothly, and we anticipate that that will go uh, continue to go well, we have always had a broad set of federal customers. Um, the FBI has been a customer for for a long time. The U.S. State Department, um, even the Library of Congress, uh, and, and a number of others. And I think that's because when you know some of the most sophisticated organizations in the world look at that, that are under constant threat, look at the solutions that are that are out there. Uh, they, they increasingly understand and, and have for quite some time that, that we're the best solution for stopping uh, the cyber threats that, that they face. And so I, I think that there is a, a significant opportunity. Um, we are investing uh, both in terms of partnerships with GSIs like Accenture, um, but then also building out our own team uh, to be able to uh, just to be able to service uh, that. And, and I think over the last 10 years, We've done a terrific job of building relationships with the people that are really leading the cybersecurity efforts uh, in the U.S. federal government, and, and that's now, now really paying off. One of the things that's important about us and one of the reasons why uh, th this is important is Cloudflare fundamentally is the foundation on top of which a number of other companies build uh, their products. And so as other companies uh, are looking for uh, companies that they can trust, uh, these these sorts of wins we see uh, resonating across the entire industry. And again, I'm really proud of our team for the the, the success that we've had uh, selling our zero trust solutions to what is literally the biggest IT buyer in the world. That's that's fantastic. And then Thomas, I think the other thing that stood out to me: 71% growth in, in large uh, in large deals uh, and, and a record ad was was impressive. Can you talk about the success of bundling? I know some of your some of your bigger customers are taking 10 or more products. Uh, but, but just, you know, thoughts on leveraging bundles and, and I guess maybe Cloudflare One in particular. I know it was introduced last year, but but how successful is that in driving some of this momentum in large enterprise wins? You, you're, you heard from Matthew that uh, he, he he picked out a couple of deals uh, during the quarter that were 
um, Cloudflare One or in part Cloudflare One driven. So as we migrate in, in, in our evolution, the product portfolio comes becomes broader and, and deeper. Uh, the bundling of products and the pricing of those bundles uh, becomes a huge opportunity for us. It's one of the um, more strategic, important projects that we are currently uh, running within Cloudflare, um, Michelle and I do, uh, in, in order to, to get more sophistication in, into our approach. If you look at companies we admire, like Salesforce and Microsoft, it has been a big part of their journey uh, going up and getting to larger accounts and larger revenue um, uh, commitments per, per, per customers. Uh, you're getting more sophisticated in the bundling um, um, effort. And, um, you know, we, the increase to 124% of dollar net retention happened primarily because we were really successful expanding large customers and uh, especially with, with bundled deals. So, um, we're making good progress, but it's still a, a huge opportunity in front of us, too. Thanks a lot, guys. We have our next question coming from the line of Granthill. With Jeffries, your line is open. Thanks. Uh, Thomas, um, many have asked just in the second half, the guidance is uh, implying a pretty significant deceleration. Is there anything that we should keep in the in mind in terms of modeling uh, other than the bigger comps that you're coming up on? Well, you know, you have to keep in mind, um, as I said um, in my remarks before, we the third quarter last year was driven by uh, a one-time uh, customer renewal. Um, so if you were to take this into account, you know, the guidance is, is, is now getting up to, to 46 to 47% here over years, probably the strongest guidance uh, we have given in, in our life as a public uh, company uh, from a growth expectation perspective, but it also served us well so far to be prudent in how we think about our future and weigh the, the headwinds and tailwinds that we have. And, you know, this guidance is consistent with our approach over the last eight quarters, uh, taking everything into account that we know and, um, and, and making sure we, are, we continue to be thoughtful. And a quick follow-up for Matthew, uh, maybe from your perspective, you know, something that maybe we all can't see that you're seeing that you're particularly surprised or proud uh, about that, that maybe just didn't come through in the financials. Is, is there one or two things that, that are really surfacing that that um, that, are, that are maybe surprising even even you uh, as architecting the, the leadership of, of this move? You know, I think um, I'll come back to the team that we have um, and and the strength that we're seeing across applicants uh, for that team. Um, I think across the industry, uh, there there are a lot of people as we come out of the other end of COVID who are thinking about what it is that they can do with their career. Um, everyone who gets a job at Cloudflare, you know, can work a bunch of other places. Uh, and, and yet, you know, we continue to see both uh, the retention of our current team uh, exceed what our expectations are, but but also just the caliber and quality of of people um, across not just our R and D organization, but in the sales and marketing organization. And I think that companies are just collections of people. And so the fact that we have uh, at this time where people are thinking about you know what is it that they want to do with their their career. Um, you know, some of the best and most talented people uh, that that, I, that I've ever seen um, are, are saying, you know, if, if I can be part of helping build a better internet, um, that that that's what I what I want to spend the next chunk of my career doing. And I think that 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 um, really sets us up well uh, for for just continuing to execute uh, as as we as we scale. So I, I'm I'm really 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 proud of our team, and I think that. It's amazing that, that we keep raising the bar on that team. We have our next question coming from the line of Jim Fish with Piper Sandler. Your line is open. Hey, guys, thanks for the questions. Uh, you guys clearly don't have enough conferences on your schedule coming up. Uh, but nice core, guys. Wanted to start off with a question for Matthew. Uh, really on private, Apple Private Relay that got announced. Uh, 
you know, what can you say about the reports about this offering? It seems like traffic is, is already, you know, coming in across Cloudflare for this. Is that the right way to think about it? And how can a relationship like this really change the industry dynamics in your view? Um, so, Jim, uh, we, uh, we have a policy of not talking about any of our customers um, without, without their permission. And, and I'm certainly not going to speculate uh, here on, on, on that. But, you know, I, I will tell, you know, three, three stories, I guess, um, about, about Apple. Um, you know, back in 1978, uh, when, you know, there were two, you know, what were known as hobbyists at the time, we now call them developers. Uh, but, you know, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak had an idea to build a personal computer. Um, they went to Venrock, which is the venture capital arm of the, of the Rockefeller family, and raised, raised their first capital. Um, you know, I, I feel a certain kinship to that because when Cloudflare started, um, we went to Venrock, uh, and they were the first capital in, in, uh, in Cloudflare. And actually, I was, I was hanging out with Brian Roberts a few weeks ago, who, who runs that firm, and he said that Cloudflare actually um, is the first company uh, in in the venture capital firm's history, to to now have surpassed the return that they had uh, with Apple, so that's that's something that we're proud of. You know, I, I think the second bit, um, which is a little bit more personal, was uh, 18 years later uh, in 1996. I was actually in law school, and I heard uh, that Steve Jobs was actually coming back to Apple. And my dad uh, at the time was a was a, a stockbroker, and I I'd worked as a ski instructor the year before and saved up a little bit of money, and so I, I called him and I said, you know. I think I want to buy a thousand shares of Apple stock, and um, that turned out to be a pretty good decision, uh, which which largely paid for my ability to, among other things, uh, go to business school a few um, a few years later, where I met Michelle, and we were able to uh, you know start start cooperating in that. So so you know I've been an Apple fanboy for a long time, and, and it's it's uh, it's definitely a company that we really admire. The last story, which is actually you know 19 years after that. Um, I remember I was invited to a, a very small gathering of tech leaders um, meeting with uh, senior government officials uh, to talk about how technology companies can help uh, with with the, the fight against various um, law enforcement requests and, and terrorism. Uh, and it was a pretty pretty incredible group. It was also around the same time the San Bernardino uh, phone uh, was was in the news about whether or not Apple would unlock that. And, you know, I, I, we were definitely the smallest company there. There were 12 uh, tech leaders, and it was sort of the who's who of the big tech companies. And, um, and I remember Tim Cook in this, in this closed meeting um, started to talk about privacy in a way that was, uh, you know, really, you know, clear that it came from, you know, a deep and personal place and talked about privacy as a fundamental human right. And that was long before Apple was running commercials on TV about the importance of privacy and so I, I think that's something that, you know, they've at times gotten a little bit of flack saying that's just marketing. But I think I've seen from their senior leadership that that's something that they deeply care about. And that's a value uh, that we definitely share with them. And so um, I've been an Apple fanboy uh, for quite some time. And, and hopefully that's a long enough answer uh, not answering your question. <laughs> that was a uh, good sell site answer, honestly. Um, but as you continue to move up market, you know, how's the engagement and, and go to market changing? How should we think about that evolution of Cloudflare's go-to-market away, like moving away from that premium funnel towards the more direct large enterprises uh, over time? Thanks, guys. Yeah, so, you know, I, I don't think we've ever been sort of a traditional premium um, customer. We don't think of, uh, you know, and from time to time we get great customers that come in through that free funnel. But but by and large, that's really, um, that, that's not that's not the purpose of, of that. The purpose of that is, is really to, to be able to just innovate as quickly as we can with such a broad uh, set of, of customers. And, and that, that paid off incredibly well. Um, I think that if you fast forward you know, 10 years from now, uh, Cloudflare's go-to-market motion looks just like any other big enterprise company. And, and I think we're building that out. Um, you heard a number of, of deals where you know, we have now named accounts, um, specific sales reps, increasingly an enterprise sales team, increasingly working with channel partners and, you know, and systems integrators. Um, I think what's different about us is that we have used data to build out our go-to-market function in the same way that we use data across our entire company. And, um, and that's, that's allowed us to both go into uh, new geographies and new markets, new customer segments and industries, and to move up 
in terms of servicing larger customers in a way that, again, we're, we're, not, we're not here to tell you that we don't need salespeople. We, we believe that we do. Uh, but I think what we've been able to do is use the data from our, our existing customers um, to invest behind the demand curve rather than ahead of the demand curve. And while that gets us to the same point that you know any any enterprise sales sales company gets to, I think what it allows us to do is very relentlessly execute and and make it much less likely that we make a misstep along the way. We have our next question coming from the line of Shaul Eel. With Cohen, your line is open. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, guys. Congrats on the ongoing outperformance. Um, Matthew or Thomas, thanks for the color on paying customers and, and the large customer addition this quarter. Uh, but can you also provide us with an update of the total customer count? Any qualitative or even quantitative views will be appreciated, and I have a follow-up. Sure. Thanks. Thanks, y'all. Um, so uh, we're actually pausing uh, the, the reporting of the total customer count uh, this quarter, although we're, we're going to bring it back. Um, as just a reminder, total customers included both free and paying customers. And throughout the quarter, we saw continued strength in that. The problem was that, that it really sort of described a different business than we're in today. It, it looked at um, active Internet properties and really only covered uh, those products that, um, that, that relied on actually having like a, a website. And that didn't uh, include a lot of the new products like Cloudflare One and, uh, and other bits. And so we didn't feel like that statistic was representative. Uh, so we're pausing it, we're gonna bring it back. In the meantime, you know, if you do wanna continue to track uh, something like that, um, there are a lot of external uh, fact, uh, services that track kind of what signup rates are. We've continued to see strength uh, across across that um, W3 Tech uh, reports that on a on a month to month basis, and so if, if that's something that you want to continue to track, that that would be the place that I would look to uh, to get that. And, and we're looking forward to bringing our total customer count back in a way that's um, more accurate going forward. Got it. Understood. And maybe another one, Matthew or, or Thomas, um, on the topic of you know building versus RPO, you know, some, some investors, some within the investment community are using billing as the metric to track. And maybe as it relates to Cloudflare, it could actually misconstrue how healthy the underlying trends are. Do you think RPO could be the preferred metric to track? What's, what's the internal thinking uh, on this topic? Yeah, let, let me um, get started here. Um, we think that RPO is the, is the better indicator for the health of our business. That is certainly the number um, we, we are focusing on. And, and as we said, you know, it's up 77% uh, year over year in, in, the, in the last quarter. Current RPO, that is the RPO on the balance sheet that we recognize over the next 12 months, uh, is up um, um, 60, north of 60%. Uh, billings can be sometimes an arbitrary number, just depending on how many billing cycles you run uh, over a quarter. Uh, we think um, RPO is the better health metric for us, and that is the number that we, are in, we as Cloudflare are, are uh, focused on from our, how we run the, uh, the, the business and how we, uh, 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 what KPIs we try. <clears throat> Got it. Thank you. Understood. Good luck. We have our next question coming from the line of Sterling Audit with J.P. Morgan. Your line is open. Hey, guys. This is Drew on for Sterling. Uh, Matthew, could you expand upon your commentary surrounding the long-term investment trajectory, including the timeline of that and what areas you're expecting to lean into the most? Sure, Drew. Um, so we're – so, so two, two areas. Um, obviously, we continue to invest in our sales and marketing uh, uh, motion um, and think about how, as we continue to go up market, we have the team in place uh, to service that. Um, and again, you know, I think what's unique about us is that we're able to invest behind the demand, but we, we do believe that sales people and we do believe that marketing matters. 
uh, we will continue to invest in that because when you're when you're servicing customers that are as large as, as we have, they want they want to do that, and it also helps us as we want to expand uh, those customers across our entire product set to have people who can be the advocates, who can talk to them, and 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 be be a part of that. I think the second area where we continue really to invest is in our research and development um, efforts. Um, Cloudflare runs on innovation, and we have designed uh, our entire business in order to be an innovation uh, machine. And so uh, over the course of uh, the year, um, we, we have a number of uh, new products that we continue to release. I don't see that slowing down uh, anytime soon. And, and we definitely, um, as, as what we like to do is, is design uh, the way that we think about R&D as um, making a number of bets uh, in, in the area uh, iterating quickly on those bets across our broad customer base, and then what, and then by the time something is ready for us to take it to our our largest customers, you know it's battle tested and something that that we continue to uh, to to run on. So I don't think that the formula changes, um, but I do think that as we get to break even, being able to pour resources back into that, um, if anything, should just accelerate the rate at which we are um, able to, you know, drive real innovation across across the company. Okay, got it. That's helpful. Thank you. We have our next question coming from the line of Tim Horn with Oppenheimer. Your line is open. Thanks, guys. Uh, just two questions. One, um, I think you're implying the net dollar retention can improve uh, here. Can you talk a little bit, uh, you know, how can you improve it uh, still, uh, which is a pretty high number, and, you know, maybe, maybe where can it go? And, uh, you know, then secondly, uh, some of the carriers are out there are partnering with some of the cloud providers. You know, do you think they can, you know, basically pivot to become uh, a better competitor against you or yeah, and or are you seeing anyone else, you know, out there that's really pursuing a similar strategy to compete with you? Thanks. Sure. So um, let me let me take both questions, and then and then Thomas may want to add um, to the to the to the first. Um, uh, so we so first of all with carriers, um, we, we we work you know and and have had partnerships with carriers um, for for quite some time. Um, most of the new deployments that we go into, we're deploying directly into the carriers' networks. And we have a very symbiotic relationship uh, with with them, and have been able to continue uh, to to invest in that. We're able to see what the traffic flows are um, across across public clouds, and we don't see that there's much resonance uh, for um, some of the the carrier partnerships um, with the public clouds yet. But it's something that we obviously are watching um, closely and carefully, uh, and and I think that the that the opportunity that we have is to continue to be a great partner to those carriers uh, where, wherever they are around the world, both to, to deliver our services and, uh, and, and be able to drive, drive, uh, drive, drive, drive down our costs um, as, as we continue to build. Um, and, I, and I apologize, in, in, the, in the process of answering that, I, I forgot what your first question was, but can you, can you repeat it just quickly? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Well, um, just uh, the net dollar retention rate, you know, how do you prove yeah. on, on, on what's, you know, really good number? Yeah, it, it, so, so again, we're, we're, um, that is something that we, we focused on. Um, what, what I love about Cloudflare is when we focus on something, um, we're really good at, at improving it. I think that it's been driven by new products, uh, and, and since we don't have a usage-based model where, you know, we're, we're, we're Sort of you know, revenue can trombone up and down uh, over over time, um, but instead, you know, we have a, a subscription model. It really requires us to sell more products, and I think that that's been uh, a piece of it. I think going back to what Thomas spoke about earlier, uh, as as the bundling opportunity, that that feels like the opportunity for us uh, to to be able to continue to improve uh, that number over time. Um, I will say that there might be some noise. Uh, in in the dollar based net retention number, um, where we, we definitely have have got worked hard to get it above 120 percent. We and we think that that that's great. We're not satisfied where, with where it is. There may be from quarter to quarter a little bit of noise in that in that metric, but we do think that over time we can continue to improve uh, that metric. 
One addition, maybe, um, so it's good to keep in mind that that dollar net retention is a lagging indicator for us, um, how we report it. So, you know, it, it, it's lagging the 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 initiatives that we drive. Um, we also have a pay-as-you-go business uh, that is very important for us uh, in terms of how we drive efficiency in the business model. But remember, we always said that it's a business that is difficult to expand. So everything you see from a DNR performance perspective uh, happens with the drag of a pay-as-you-go business and is a lagging indicator to the initiatives we have started. <clears throat> Thank you. We have our next question coming from the line of Jonathan Ruhaver. With Baird, your line is open. Yes, hi. Uh, so in, in thinking about workers, you know, you, you've discussed in the past how it's still in the emerging tech group and price for adoption compared to revenue. I'm wondering if you could pro uh, provide any insights into when this might change. And if nothing specific there, you know, what kind of criteria you might be looking for in evaluating uh, taking that to market as, as a more mature solution? Yes. Thanks, Jonathan. So I think it's a pretty mature solution. Um, you know, we launched it in uh, 2017, and and it is we're seeing very, very, very large companies, um, you know, bet their businesses on on workers. So I think that that it, it is a, a large solution. I think that what we have um, been hesitant to do is is break out what the specific revenue is because it tends to be part of uh, the, the larger component uh, of, of how we're um, of how we're selling our solution but you know we we continue to see strength uh, in workers we see people building you know not and not not random startups but really sophisticated large companies building sophisticated complicated applications uh, using workers and so and so it's it is already taking workloads off of the traditional public clouds, and uh, and and the people and that that the organizations um, you know just find it magical. So um, so so again, I, I think that that's that's the, that's the piece. I, I would I you know even at the prices that we um, that we that we charge for workers today, it is it is very margin accretive um, for us. Uh, and so, and so again, I, I think it is it is a competitive product. We think that being um, very cost effective is, is is important when you're selling cloud products. We don't think of ourselves as competing with other you know niche edge computing platforms. We think of ourselves as competing with the the big public cloud uh, platforms. And so, when we think about pricing, we think about pricing it uh, in a way that that is competitive. Uh, with with those other other public clouds, and even at those rates, again, it's it's margin accretive for us. Right. Okay. That that's helpful. And, and then just as a quick follow, in terms of drivers of, of serverless, serverless, Matthew, one of the things you you hit on is just the um, compliance use case. Can you just touch on that a bit more? And if, if if you're seeing that starting to take hold in the market yet? Yeah. So you know, the first bit is. The, the computing piece of edge computing is the easy piece. The hard piece is storage. And what I think you've seen us do is think through how to have um, distributed storage in a way that is still easy for developers to wrap their heads around and, and build, um, but at the same time gives them the flexibility where they can do things like require a piece of data, never leave you know, a, a particular geography. And so, um, you know, I, I think we that the regulatory environment for our customers continues to get more and more complex. We're seeing a lot of, of attention for the, the regulatory uh, concerns which are coming out of out of the EU. Um, but but what we hear from customers is that you know that's just the tip of the iceberg, and and places like uh, India and Brazil and you know obviously China and and, and others are also putting in place um, requirements that, that require people to keep their, their data from users in country in that, in that particular region. And so I think that workers is uh, perfectly positioned for what is a much more complex uh, regulatory environment. We are you know, today in well over 100 countries worldwide 
Um, you know, we're, we're on a path to, to being in virtually every country uh, worldwide. And what that allows us to do is help our customers comply with these increasingly complex regulations um, around the world. We talked earlier about FedRAMP. Um, again, that's, that's very U.S.-focused. We're doing similar efforts, for example, with, with the, the German equivalent uh, and, and others around the world. And, and, again, I think that sets us up very well to be able to uh, satisfy the regulatory and compliance needs of, of, of so many, you know, large, large enterprises. And it's, it's, it's what we keep hearing as the, as the real killer feature uh, that distinguishes workers from, from any other uh, computing platform. That's great. Thank you. We have our next question coming from the line of Alex Henderson with Needham. Your line is open. Uh, thanks. Um, Matt, I, I just wanted to compliment you for, first uh, on the uh, Hotel California Amazon uh, data commentary on your blog. I thought it was really, uh, really well done. Um, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about um, the developer community adoption, uh, you know, any change in the rates, uh, any metrics around the size of it. Um, everybody focuses on the financial side of it, but I think the DevOps community in, uh, integration is such a key piece. Um, could you talk, give us some, some metrics or something to, uh, you know, to, to qualify and, and quantify that, please? Yeah, sure. So, you know, more than 50,000 uh, developers wrote their first uh, workers uh, script or code uh, this time. And that's not, you know, signed up for an account. That's actually wrote code and deployed um, an application. Um, we, we, we can, that continues to grow uh, over time. Um, and, and the retention of those developers, you know, they don't, they don't tend to just write something and then go away, but we see them uh, continuing to um, de deliver more and more applications and more and more sophisticated applications uh, as, as we watch what, what developers are, are building. And so I think, you know, when we think about uh, when we think about the platform, I completely agree with you. Um, whoever, whoever has the most developers wins. Uh, we want to make a platform which, yes, satisfies you know, the, the, the CIO and CTO and general counsel for its regulatory compliance. Yes, is cost, incredibly cost-effective. Of course, is, is you know, incredibly consistent. Um, we're already the fastest uh, that, that are, that's out there. Um, but then we really need to continue to invest in making that plat developing that platform's ecosystem. One of the things that I'm excited about is, well, we largely talk about big customers uh, here. We're increasingly seeing startups that are building, um, you know, entire uh, applications, you know, from from scratch on the workers uh, platform, and, and that's that's exciting um, both because it it's you know, it's really just a, a very uh, fervent area of, of, of excitement, and it's, it's how you build communities and build ecosystems. Um, but it, it also, you know, is, is a great way for us to be looking out of, you know, at whether or not there are, um, you know, really great features that maybe other other uh, companies and, and, and small companies develop that might be natural, uh, either um, uh, things that we can bring into a marketplace or, or maybe even uh, as potential tuck-in acquisitions. Uh, that don't have the uh, technical uh, uh, integration risk that that would be if they were using completely different platforms. So I'm excited about it. Um, if you if you search on Twitter, or if you go on our Discord channel, you'll see the developers are excited about it. Uh, and, um, and and again, I, I, it's picking up steam. Great, thanks. We have our next question coming from the line of Jim Breen with William Blair. Your line is open. Uh, thanks for taking the question. Um, from time to time, you sort of update your what you guys believe is the addressable market. Um, just given so all the new product launches, et cetera, can you just talk about how you see that uh, moving now? And then a little bit um, off of Tim Horan's question just around uh, your existing customer base growth. Um, any sort of metrics there on the security side in terms of, of your paying customers, you know, how many products they're taking and how that's maybe changed over time? Thanks. So, um, so I'll, I'll, I'll take the, the second half of that, and then and Thomas can um, com Thomas can comment on on the first half. Um, so, uh, so we uh, at our at our last investor day, 
um, you, we updated that uh, today. Um, the it's it's uh, north of, of I think it's eighty percent. Tom, so correct me if, if I'm wrong. Of customers are using four or more of of our uh, of our products, and that tends to be the magic number for us in terms of really uh, having stickiness and and really differentiating ourselves um, in the in the marketplace. And and typically customers will span across both security, but then also uh, performance and reliability. About about 50% of our, our revenue, 50% of sort of the initial interest that we get comes from our security product, about 25% from performance, and about 25% um, from reliability. But I think that that somewhat mischaracterizes what, what Cloudflare really is, which is a platform that allows you to have all three of those things in one unified um, solution. So we continue to see that customers are taking more of our products as we launch products, we are, we are, we're really building out that engine that makes it so that we can very quickly pour new products into our existing customer base and have them uh, adopted. And, uh, and, and that, I, again, I think that that is, um, it is very difficult to compete with us once we, once we get customers to understand the power of using the broad platform that we have. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to disclose any newer additional um, data, but I think the point that Matthew just made is important relating it back to our ability to bundle. Um, as our product uh, portfolio gets broader and broader, our ability to customize bundles for specific customer needs and compete more, significant, more effectively against uh, point solution providers, I think is, is the opportunity um, that rests that, that there. And, and I got the, uh, I, I looked it up quickly. Uh, it's 88% of our contracted customers use four or more uh, cloud products. And 79 are five or more. Great. Thank you very much. We have our next question coming from the line of Greg Moskowitz with Mizuho. Your line is open. Okay, thank you, and good afternoon, guys. Uh, Matthew, you mentioned zero trust a couple of times as driving some important wins for you this quarter. And uh, as part of this, I was wondering if Cloudflare for teams is starting to compete on a head-to-head -head basis more frequently at the enterprise level. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, that if you look at what, for example, the United States government um, uh, uh, chose and, and is going to be offering uh, to all civilian federal agencies, that was a, that's a subset of the, the Cloudflare for Teams uh, product in order to make sure that government workers are not uh, targeted by malware or don't, don't fall for, for phishing scams. And so we're really proud uh, of, of that win. But there were many, many, many more wins where Cloudflare for Teams um, is going up against uh, companies that only do uh, the sort of zero trust uh, types of solutions. And, and our win rates are very strong. I think the place where we have really excelled are, is in both ease of use uh, and um, it's sort of ease of use and ease of deployment, which, which again, I think comes from the heritage uh, that, that, that we've always really thought about how can we make things incredibly easy to use. And then secondly, um, we really re resonate with the developer community. And so for the more technical buyers, uh, they, they are, they, you know, we, we, we win those, those deals um, up, down, left, right, and sideways. Um, I think where we continue to invest and where we, where we will make progress is making sure that, you know, we are, you know, top right in Gartner and Forrester and all of the other uh, analyst briefings. But, you know, again, starting with some of these great customer wins that we have is the key in order to, in order to make, to, in order to be able to demonstrate that uh, from the industry analysts. And, uh, and we think we're well on, on path to, uh, to, to, to being, um, you know, in the consideration set for anyone who is, is thinking about zero trust solutions. All right, that's really helpful. And then just a quick follow-up on workers. So even at its uh, somewhat low scale today, this is a very margin accretive offering for you? Yes. It's, uh, it, it, is a, it, is, it is margin accretive uh, even at 78% gross margin. All right, terrific. Thanks very much. Thank you. There are no further questions at this time. I will now turn the call back over to the presenters for any closing comments.
We had an absolutely terrific quarter. Really appreciate all of our team uh, working hard uh, to, to deliver the results that we have. Uh, looking forward to seeing many of you at the upcoming uh, shareholder and, and, uh, and technology conferences. And, uh, and we're going to get back to work helping build a better internet. Thank you. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.